This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, we have Movie Talk, a program for all things cinema-esque, for the discerning film and video junkie. Welcome again to Movie Talk. Today we'll be looking at Adolf Hitler's very organised looting of European art in Hitler versus Picasso and the others. There's also a fantasy on the origins of Father Christmas in A Boy Called Christmas and a blockbuster of a sci-fi movie, Dune. It was more than just an obsession for art. It was a weapon for the Germans. My grandmother was forced to sell everything basically at gunpoint and with the threat of deportation. Un des plus grands pilleurs de l'histoire. Mais le propriétaire, très souvent même, il était déporté dans des camps par les nazis eux-mêmes. The documentary Hitler vs. Picasso and the Others gives us an extraordinary report on how Nazi Germany's Adolf Hitler looted the artwork of Europe and kept quite a bit of it for himself. Sue Freeman has been off to the Lumiere cinemas to see this little-known aspect of what was happening to art in Germany during the 1930s. Sue, you've had a long-time interest in the history of art. What did you think of Hitler versus Picasso and the others? Well, my interest goes beyond just an interest in history of art because I lived in Germany for 20 years and I was actually very aware of... The, the looting. Um, yeah. So even though maybe little known here in New Zealand, certainly well known over in Europe. Um, I mean, even going to St. Petersburg and seeing the looted art that St. the Russians took back. Uh-huh. They, yeah. they could rightfully have because Hitler had looted it and they were saving it, it for the world, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And all the, all the modern architects, you know, the, the Bauhaus, they all had to emigrate to the States because Hitler didn't tolerate their form of architecture, the modern cubism. Yeah, yes, so yes, it, yes. It's, and, and you were mentioning Hitler, but Hitler and Goering were in competition oh, this is with one each of, other. Yeah, the people who worked, yeah, one of his senior officials with him, Yeah, Goering. the big fat, yeah. one with all the medals on his chest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, uh, yeah. I mean, to me, I, I thought this film was going to be about Hitler's... Um, attitude towards modern art, which he called degenerate art yeah. and that sort of a thing, yeah. and which he separated completely from his uh, attitude towards um, the old classic yeah. um, artists and yeah. that kind of a thing, yeah. the older artists. And um, But there's mo- that is not that is certainly all in the film, but the main point is actually the looting. Oh, the looting which on a the, massive scale. Uh, Nazi, Hitler mm. and his Nazi people with him yeah. were doing... And they had organi- arranged a lot of this to how to loot top class paintings from everywhere, from within Germany itself, yeah. from museums and art yep. galleries and yep. personal belongings. Uh, and the shocking uh, thing, they offered people these some of these wealthy families who had beautiful art offered them a visa 
Oh, to yeah. This would be like a German, a, Hitler, a Jewish family or somebody like that. Yeah. And, mm, and yeah. so if they sold yeah. their art, they could get a visa and then they get would out, renege yeah. on that deal and, and they they ended up dying in a concentration camp. <laughs> yeah. So they were, they were looting, yeah. plundering and abusing people's rights mm. and left, right and so I mean, we always knew that, but... Yeah, but the other fascinating thing is that with this film, I had assumed that this would be the sort of um, looting, uh, the looting of art in other countries once World War Two started, that as they moved into all the other European countries uh, around them, that they could start to p- steal some of the top artwork there from the museums in these countries and things like that. But it actually goes back much further before the actual start of the war. Oh, well, they were he archiving had, uh, called, it all, yeah. A large, quite a few people there studying mm. this whole aspect, uh, the business of art yeah. of all kinds, um, that was available so that they knew, even before the war started, that uh, where top-class classical paintings yeah. were being kept yeah. in private homes or in yeah. museums in Paris or in yeah. any, any other city. It doesn't matter if it was in Italy or Spain. Yeah. It could be anywhere. And uh, they studied all this up beforehand and what was the best place to get there, best yeah. way to get there and how to get this and yeah. get it out. Yeah. And then what are they going to do with mm. it afterwards? Well, a lot of it went to Hitler's personal... Um, and Goering. And yeah. yeah, this is the other point, which I was never aware of. This oh, is, yes, Goering yeah. was well known in Germany. He was he was a very greedy, nasty man, Goering. Yeah. Yeah, very. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had that personal interest in mm. uh, gaining a lot of mm. the stuff for his own, yeah. into his own possession. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, he was using, he was, Hitler was using him and he was using Hitler as they went along oh, in this. But it's, it's, there is so much in the movie that you almost need to go Two or three times. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I thought for a 10 o'clock morning showing on a weekday to see the movie theatre half full shows the interest in a subject like this. Yes, I was surprised at yeah. that, yeah. That's fascinating, though. I know it wasn't given a great review in the press, but gosh, it's fascinating. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting. I I really think you have to go a couple of times. It was I thought it was very, very interesting that that art that they've only uncovered in 2012, and that was just a random stop of a guy on a train, and he had that cash, and it, he'd never been registered. Yeah, 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 um, not, yeah, anywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they went to his apartment and found amongst rotten fruit and all this amazing, valuable art. Yeah, yeah, so, old and classics, how much yeah. more is going to keep appearing. Appearing, yes. Well, it certainly does. You hear mm. of this over the years that they find some huge amount of old yeah. paintings um, hidden away somewhere. And, of course, then they have to, if they find this now, the government or whoever finds it, they have to check out who it used to belong to yeah. originally before Hitler got... Um, got yeah, and it's it. very hard because, mm. that, as, as they, that one one person said, that people leaving the camp said, oh, you know, they took all my art. Oh, well, have you got a photo of it? You've just been in a concentration camp for three or four years, <laughs> survived, and you're supposed to proof, prove your possession of mm. these items. <laughs> so difficult. Yeah. Oh, no. But I was just, uh, I mean, I didn't know that some of this went on, but that it was so well organised by mm. Hitler and his people beforehand. That's absolutely amazing. There's been a lot of books written on this, too. Oh, know, certainly. I've read. Yeah. yeah. And the salt mines and where they drove the trains in and hid all the um, artwork in there. That's been pretty well uh, documented. Yeah. 
Um, uh, but the, the film is also, in many other ways, a delight to watch. They've got this. It's a beautifully filmed. Yes. Um, yes. Production. It is beautifully filmed. Uh, it's lovely, beautiful colour, yeah. and not just the artwork. And you see an amazing yeah. amount of yeah. different artists yeah. and all these names mentioned mm. all the time. That's mm. why I have to see it again because I saw those names I did, of people and of yeah. the, uh, the artists, and uh, they mentioning names all the time, all yeah. the time. This is coming out, and I think, my God, who's he? What was that? Yeah. And <laughs> there were so many people interviewed from a multitude of countries, mm. from the UK, from yeah. New York. From the Netherlands, from yeah. Belgium, from France. Yeah, in different speaking in different languages. <laughs> yes, every language was there. Yeah. yeah. Mm, so yeah. there's a, a European interest in all of this. It's yeah. just yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, as, as you say, I think I, I could also go along mm. and have a second. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really happy to go. If anyone wants to go again, wants someone to go with them, I'm up for it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, thank you, Sue. That was Sue Freeman with her views on Hitler versus Picasso and the others. And I'm Hans Petrovic on Movie Talk on Plains FM 96.9. You may find this hard to believe, but long ago, nobody knew about Christmas. It started with a boy called Nicholas and a summons from the king. I'm asking you to go to the very edges of our kingdom and bring back a spark of magic to give us hope. I'm going to Elfhelm to find the elves, Mika. To bring some new hopes to the world. Such a fool. Everyone knows there is no such thing as elves. You ready, old friend? Born ready. You can talk. And I can fly as well. No, just kidding. No mice can fly. That would be absurd. In A Boy Called Christmas, a 12-year-old boy, accompanied by a talking mouse and reindeer, set out on an extraordinary adventure to find a fabled village of elves. Ian Cummings been off to the Academy Cinemas to see this magical tale, which is supposed to explain the origins of Father Christmas. Ian, I was thoroughly enraptured by this colourful fantasy. Did you learn anything in A Boy Called Christmas? Well, I did learn that the boy's friend a deer was called Blitzen, but I have to... Well, I thought he should have been called Rudolph. Well, anyway, be that as it may, I have to declare my hand... It's not my cup of tea, this film. Why not? I thought well, I would explain it okay. if you just give me a moment. Okay. <laughs> no, listen, it's not a film I would buy a ticket to see, but thanks to the Academy for allow- allowing us, you know, you and me to, to get in to see it, complimentary, so we could do the review. Now, this is a film, as I say, I would not buy a ticket to see, but my my granddaughter, age nine, she would love this film. Yeah. Just as I took her to a, 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 a film called Raya and the Last Dragon, a Dragon, and we both liked it. So, but there were things that I did like about this film. So let's talk about the cast first. Wonderful cast of veteran British actors, Jim Broadbent playing the king. Oh, yes. uh, who commands his subjects to find a spark of magic and so give hope. Um, Toby Jones, the diminutive Tony J- Toby Jones, plays the wide old elf. And he was the actor. You've seen him before in Dad's Army, Hunger Games, Tinker Tailor Soldier um, Spy. And then there's Sally Hawkins, plays the witch, though she's not as ugly as fearsome as Disney cartoons usually portray their witches with warts on their nose and all this thing. And then there's dear old Maggie Smith, and she's telling the bedtime story 
yeah. of Nicholas' adventure to three. And that is the story of the. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Christmas story, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Santa Claus story, I yeah. suppose you mm. could call it, yeah, uh, to a, a group of spellbound uh, children. And finally, um, the film, um, this film re- recreates the story she's telling with the young actor Henry Lawless. Oh, he's uh, quite uh, amazing Not too. Lawless, Lawful. Yep. Henry Lawful, <laughs> redhead, yeah. Uh, and he's, as he searches for his father in the quest for magic and so hope. Yep. So that's one of the things that I did like. Now, I'll give you a chance to say something, and then I'll tell you about the next thing I like. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's a fascinating story. I had assumed that it was a story of the um, real original, because the boy's name in the film is Nicholas. So I assumed that comes, well, if he's going to saw the young first Father Christmas, then that must be Santa Claus, which is Nicholas. And, uh, but it's not. I mean, it's not that about the same thing. This film is set in Finland, and uh, which is totally different to the actual um, uh, St. Nicholas. He, he lived as a bishop and worked as a Christian bishop down in the Turkey area a couple of 200 years after Christ <laughs> okay. was there. And, um, so it's not really about the real St. Nicholas no, Santa okay. Claus. This is a, a totally different story, which is about um, Finnish uh, or Scandinavian um, folklore and uh, legendary tales and all this sort of a thing. And so you can bring in the local belief in elves out in the forests and all of this kind of thing. And you find all of this in this film and it makes it into a very charming movie. Yes, well, it was, uh, it's, based, it's, it's come from a book, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, which would be everything that you were just talking about, which, oh, which yeah. I haven't read the book, obviously. But the other thing I liked about it was the production design and everything that's involved in that. I mean, there's a wonderful street scene at the beginning, a big wide shot there, and there's a, re- a London bus there and people walking in the yeah. streets in the distance. The cam- camera comes, swoops down like this uh, with the street lights on the, uh, sorry, the Christmas lights on the shops and in the houses. And then we go to Maggie Smith walking along, and she's... Um, She's on her way to the, her relative's home to uh, to babysit and to tell them the story. So, but the CGI, now there's a lot, there was CGI in that scene, but there's a lot of CGI in here, but it blends yeah. very well with live action. And so we, we, we certainly need a CGI for his little friend, a mouse, who oh, yes. apparently talks. And then there's a, a sequence with a bear who growls and is enormous and this sort of thing. And then he meets up with a deer, um, I think there was a deer got injured and he takes the uh, arrow out of the deer, doesn't he? The deer, <laughs> yeah, the deer right. falls yeah, yeah. for him, as it were. He's called Blitzen. And right towards the end, there's a, briefly, there's an ogre, a large ogre, which um, the Weta Workshop in Miramar would sort of creature that they would um, create, you know, Miramar and Wellington, um, Peter Jackson's lot. <laughs> so that's what I liked about the um, that sort of thing, the... Um, the colour, the costumes. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, the music, as mm. far as I can well, remember. Yeah. Well, this boy goes off looking for this um, elf community living way up north in the forest somewhere, and he gets there to what is like the local Christmas celebration. And, um, you know, and he takes this in, but there he learns the, uh, the importance of giving presents mm. to people at, at a certain time of mm. year and doing all of these kind of things. You know, so uh, from this point, it, it, the film presents um, the European, Northern European uh, way of um, celebrating Christmas. I mean, mm. I was born in Germany uh, 
Did you yeah, celebrate Christmas? Yeah. I suppose oh, you well, did. Certainly did. Yes, yes. I mean, this is in the early 1940s. It is even wartime. But, but uh, you know, the point was uh, that there was a lovely uh, feeling that we got under our Christmas tree there. And it's uh, the whole atmosphere mm-hmm. around there was very similar to the what you see in this film. So, so you so had... To a, me, it brought back quite actually, good yes, emotions. Ah, uh, sort of nostalgia mm. for yeah. your childhood mm. and all that and, sort and of And, of course, thing. it would apply to the English. This film was uh, written by English people and made uh, in no. England. And uh, so, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure it applies largely to, to British... Um, Christmas time also. Yeah. I told you what I liked. Um, what I did not like, briefly, I thought it was about 10 or 15 minutes too long. I think they could have trimmed the middle of the bit of the film. There's there's an extended scene there with the witch uh, played by Sally Hawkins and the boy and the elves and, to- mm. you know, it just yeah. sort of goes on. I think, snip it, snip it. Come on, let's get on with the film. Yeah. Take it out. So, Mr. Film Editor, if you're going to recut it or the director, make the director's cut a shorter one, please. But I still like the CGI with the talking mouse. Do you notice that that film, that mouse was called Mika? And then that again, what do you think it was called that? I think it was called after Disney's Mickey Mouse, <laughs> to be quite honest. Well, it could well have been, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. was Ian Cumming helping me with a boy called Christmas. I'd like to thank the sponsor of the show, the Harcourt's Grenadier Accommodation Centre, which is now located at 98 Moorhouse Avenue. If you're looking for a place to live, check out the Harcourt's Accommodation Centre website, www.assetmanagers.co.nz. That address again, www.assetmanagers.co.nz. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? A boy. (laughs) Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Want some muscle? I did? No. The epic science fiction film Dune takes us 8,000 years into the future when human beings are still in conflict over everything, from power over people to ownership of everything on very distant planets. Mary Gibson's been off to the Lumiere cinemas to see this blockbuster of a movie. Mary, I found this film somewhat difficult to follow. What did you make of Dune? Well, I took the precaution of actually checking out the story before we went because this is this is a remake of earlier versions, I think 1961 or 69, 65. Yeah. 65. So um, I thought I need to check this out and see if it follows the same storyline. So when I went along, I actually felt really well prepared and I could follow what was happening and I was virtually waiting for sequences to oh, happen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've... And, Look, I have to say, I absolutely loved this. I'm generally sci-fi kind of leaves me a bit 
told, but um, I thought this was fabulous, and I can I, I honestly cannot wait for the next one to come along. Yeah, that'll be because, two years. <laughs> yeah, because I think it was so well well made and such a stunning movie in terms of its visual and its special effects and everything like that. But to give you a bit of a um, a, a story and plot line, so yes, please, I'd like okay. to know that. <laughs> Duke Leto, um, he is from the house of Altrades, and they are the rulers of the ocean planet Caladan. And this is way off in the galaxy, oh, so it's else. 8,000 mm. years from now, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, not in our lifetime. Time. So then he is assigned by the emperor, who is not a very nice man at all and is totally into control. He was that big fat guy um, who had quite distinct powers, to replace the house of Harkonnen. So the house of Harkonnen, they were the fief rulers of Arrakis. And Arrakis is where this takes place. So Arrakis is where the spice comes from. Yeah, what spice? And, I okay, so the spice <laughs> is a valuable substance that heightens vitality. And they dig and, this out of the ground. Yeah, out of the sand, out yeah. of the sand. So it heightens vitality. And it expands consciousness. So it's probably like methamphetamine or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? So it's 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 critical to their interstellar travel. They use it for interstellar travel, and it, it allows um, space and guild nav- navigators to to safely navigate the interstellar space. So it's critical. So Harkonnen, which is led by this um, hideous man and uh, called, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's actually played by Jean Bautista, who was a um, wrestler. <laughs> I don't know why these wrestlers, John Cena, the Hulk, <laughs> you know, um, what's his name, um, Dwayne Johnson, they all get into <laughs> acting. Maybe they see it as their next path that they should be on. And um, anyway, so he, he, they're not nice. They're brutal, evil, violent people. So, but behind all of this is another plot. So this evil emperor, <laughs> there's always an evil emperor. Yeah. Um, he doesn't go or anything like that. He's just a fat, globulous, horrible person. <laughs> he, um, his plot is actually to put the um, Atradians in there and to obliterate them because he wants to just have control. So it's yeah. all a plot within a plot. So you've kind of got to be following all of this going along. And it gets quite complicated to, to keep track of um, because then also there are people who are native to Arrakis There's and these are the Frumans yeah, yeah. and they know how to survive there. And they are, they have, their, their planet Arrakis has been continuously raped and pillaged by people to get this spice. And it's a very, very expensive commodity. And I think like at the end of the movie, the horrible emperor was actually going to sell it on. It was like, you know, dumping oil on the on the market today to lower the price of <laughs> petrol. And so he was going to dump spice on the market to lower the price because they had such great big reserves of it. Because oh, yeah. This house of Harkonnen had been just you know, carrying on and, and gathering this. But then there's another plot as well. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Jar- the guy, the um, emperor, the Duke Leto, his wife, Jessica, is from the Benegnesaret order. What's that? Uh, so that's the women <laughs> that came in, you know, with the big tall hats. Oh, yes. So oh, yes. They, um, they have 
exceptional powers and they wanted her to to be the concubine or marry this um, duke to create a new lineage and the idea was that she would have a daughter and she would be part of the Bene Gesserit and she would learn all of these things but she had a son who is the young character Paul played by Timothy Chalamet and he he then she teaches him in their ways Mm. and so he then um, has these exceptional powers so he has his father's diplomacy and democracy and intellect he's the leader of one group there and and his mother's um, exceptional extraordinary extrasensory skills Mm. that he can move objects by and and control Control people by voice, so he. So the, you've got all of this playing Going out. On, yes. you know, all of this is playing out, and I'm only broad brushing in terms of what the what the plot and the storyline is about. And so that's why I find it so interesting to know what will happen in the next piece. Yeah, well, that is due out. Uh, that's a, because what you, this film only takes you through uh, yep. halfway through yep. the first. Book the book, on yeah, the subject. yeah, and the yeah. second film, which to come out in two years' time, uh, takes the last half of that. So it actually, might give you a more satisfactory ending to the whole thing. Yeah, too. look, there's and, still and, a lot left up in the air. And I think you know, to be honest with you, people should really Google and look at Wikipedia or something like that to check out what this is about because it is complex. Mm. It is so complex. And I know you said to me in the movie, "Where's this going? Yeah. <laughs> Where is this yeah. movie?" Yeah. Because there's mm. so much going on, yeah. but I yeah. think it's it's a stunning movie, yeah. and, and and visually, I mean, oh, it's a well yeah. made. I yeah. mean, the, the technically, I mean, even the aeroplanes in that they've yeah. got sort of three like wings a hanging out there, like yeah, a hornet, sort of aren't they? flap, and they sort of mm. flap around these wings mm. on the side of this these mm. planes, which is. Well, it's not quite a helicopter, but they just stick out the size. And they, I've never seen a plane like that fly around. But, but isn't it interesting, Hans, and you said it in your introduction, that the issues that we face in the world today, 100 million years ago, 100 million years or whatever into the future, are exactly, exactly the, the same. same. Power, greed, control. And that's, yeah, that's and essentially, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and there's more of it coming up. So. Absolutely. Can't okay. wait. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> That was Mary Gibson with her views on Dune. And I'm Hans Petrovic, inviting you to listen to Movie Talk again on Plains FM 96.9 at midday next Wednesday. This program will also be repeated at midday on Saturday, and you can listen to podcasts of earlier episodes on the Plains FM website, plainsfm.org.nz. (laughs) 